Garwaf, written and read. This is based on one of the works of Marie de France, as I should be pronouncing it, Chlen, fandom Bisclavre by Marie de France, reading Teen and Up. Since I am making this lay, I do not want to forget that in Breton, Bisclavre is the name for a courtly wolf, who upon the removing of his clothes, quite bare then, he becomes a beast, a courtly beast, dressed then in the finest fur that nature may provide, and will always bow to the ladies and sniff their hands in a courteous way. But it is to the spurred and belted knights that he will course his run. To the king's side, he would always find a true heart's path, for there lay his greatest love and loyalty. Of an evening, the king would sit upon the great hearth, as a tree felled in his woods, crackled and sparked. There in his chambers, his very chambers, he might speak his mind to his friend, his dear friend, who'd prick his ears to hear the king's troubles, rumble and place himself, so that the king might scratch behind his ears, or even rub his belly. Sometimes he might set up housekeeping as a man, with all the true gifts of gold and land and furnishings that the king might give him. But in truth, he preferred a Bisclavre's life. Now I'll leave this topic set. I want to tell you about Garwaf, which in the Norman means a man who becomes a savage beast. In Normandy, there dwelt a lord. Fear of him I have heard. None could pass through his lands, but was of him extracted a terrible toll. It was no secret. All knew the truth about this lord, who upon standing in the square with no shame for his nakedness, might remove his clothes and become a most savage creature. He'd rip a man's arms from his body and eat upon him while his family watched. With a woman, he might do worse." Or, it was whispered, a man. For this Lord Garwaf, he took what came his way. Now the king, he had no plans to visit this lord. His plans were to sail up the coast in a fine white ship with the sails of blue. The lily of France was to be emblazoned there in gold, that all might know who sailed. But the channel that day, it set to storm and toss, his ship cracked upon the coast. It cracked upon the very coast where this Garwaf lived. Now Bisclavre was not with him, for he was a courtly Bisclavre, but not a seafaring one. So when the white ship, with its blue sails, went down, Bisclavre waited at the harbor. He waited at the port in Aquitaine. He waited for his king, but his king's ship sailed not into harbor. When he heard, Bisclavre went into an inn, for he'd not change before another, not even before a priest, so great was his modesty. He put on his clothes then and became a man, a courtly man in fur and fine wool, as fine as any he'd worn before. He changed because he'd run faster with a horse than he ever could on his own. He rode straight then. He went in the direction that he feared for disaster. He was right to fear for the king, was brought to the Garwaf, 
who demanded his toll. He said that his lands came not from the king, but from the forest, where he set up his housekeeping. He was right to fear for the king, was brought to the Garwaf, who demanded his toll. He said that his lands came not from the king, but from the forest where he set up his housekeeping. He called himself a son of pagan gods, and himself no Christian. Far worse yet, he denied courtliness, and consumed the king's men, one by one. For the king's return, he demanded a terrible tribute. But all knew that it could never be paid. There was no tribute great enough to feed Garwaf's hunger. Through all of this, Bisclavre rode to his king. Forests and rivers he crossed. He feared nothing, although he did not like when the soil soiled the weave of his clothes. For if he would wear them, then he would have that they be clean. Finally, he came to the court of Garwaf. He demanded entrance most courteously. The guard at the gate, he stared at Bisclavre. He stared and was not certain just what he was seeing. Finally, he decided that this would be good for a mighty laugh and let Bisclavre inside the walls of the castle. Inside there, Bisclavre bowed to his king. He greeted him most kindly. He bowed also to Garwaf and asked him if he might bring the king, who guided the fate of his kingdom with care, back now to his home. Garwaf stared at Bisclavre, not certain of what he was seeing. Then he roared and tore off his clothes and gave Bisclavre the chase. Bisclavre ran from him, fleet on his feet, but he did not change. He did not cast off his clothes. Those who watched, they laughed. They laughed to see such a sight. They thought he ran in fear. The king understood. He sat down and requested a glass of brandy wine while they waited. He knew why Bisclavre did not change. Garwaf chased him through the town below the castle. He chased him into the forest, into the dark, dismal forest, far from the eyes of ladies and gentlemen of good birth. Bisclavre cast off his clothes then. He slithered free and shook his fur in the dark. Garwaf found him there, waiting on a log. Garwaf leaped forward, a sudden rush of great power carried him quite past Bisclavre, who then took a moment <clears throat> who then took a moment to rip out Garwaf's throat, and then kick dirt upon the corpse, to show his mind that courtesy did not mean weakness. Garwaf could have learned that from Bisclavre's former wife. After he had licked himself clean and removed all of the signs of what had been he considered his clothes, but in the end he left them there. He trotted back to his king, who was waiting with a glass of brandy wine, and a bowl of it too for Bisclavre, who bowed and drank it thirstily. He sat next to the king and let himself be rubbed, even to his belly, such that he whined and may have begged his king for more. From that time forth, Bisclavre went with the king always. For the world was full of Garwaft, who had no manners at all. The End